Hey guys, this is Andrew. Welcome to Inbound Agency Journey. So excited to have you here today for a great conversation between Gray and Eric Pratt. Eric runs Revenue River out in the Denver, Colorado area. And this conversation, he really digs into the nuts and bolts of how they get their clients up and running on new retainers that first 30 days and what they really dig into there, some of the standardized operations and procedures they have in place, and also how they utilize website design as an upsell into retainers Really, really good stuff here. I enjoyed the conversation. Gray and I had a really good time recapping afterwards. So without further ado, here is Gray and Eric. Here we go. Welcome to Inbound Agency Journey. This is the show where inbound agency leaders share the strategies, shortcomings, and successes they've experienced in their journey toward building their dream agency. Now, here are your hosts, Andrew and Gray. Eric, welcome to Inbound Agency Journey. Hi, Gray. Thanks for having me, buddy. Yeah, absolutely. We're excited to, to dig into your story here today. Eric, could you start off by giving us the background on how you got to, just personally, um, what brought you to where you are today with Revenue River? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Uh, personal story. Um, I uh, went to college with no idea what I was going to do. I thought I might be in accounting or finance or something like that. I took an accounting class and uh, did a 180. Um, ended up uh, getting a marketing degree. Um, while I was in college, I started uh, selling beer and water for a, a local distributor. Um, so I really started a, a, as a sales guy, even while I was getting my marketing degree. Um, I, uh, I worked for a, a big company before Revenue River, a big uh, national company owned by Berkshire Hathaway. Um, and I left that company largely due to uh, just cultural directional stuff. I just didn't, you know, didn't really fit my style. Um, started Revenue River in 2009 with the intent that we were going to be a sales company. So we actually started as an outbound sales company. Wow. So what was the transition then from going from outbound sales to now doing inbound marketing? Yeah. So we, we started, uh, you know, not really knowing, not even having a name for our company. Um, I lost my partner to, uh, he purchased another company and became the CEO of that. So it was pretty much on my own before we even named our company. And as we started to build, I, I basically started out how to, how to, uh, be an entrepreneur, um, we started to get into a little bit of creative work. We had a client that we were doing outbound sales for that we found that the person on the phone on the other end of the line kept uh, Googling us on uh, um, on his computer and finding that um, we just could, didn't have very good presence. So we started building some websites for clients uh, in 2010, kind of the creative side of it. Um, then that kind of came full circle in 2012 as we became a HubSpot VAR and really shifted uh, uh, our entire uh, company towards uh, the, the agency life. Great. And so today, 2015, what does it look like in terms of how you're allocating, or I guess basically how you're servicing clients between the web design side and the inbound marketing kind of retainer model that HubSpot pushes. 
Yeah, so we still have a, um, a, our creative roots. We still build a lot of websites. Um, we we only build in the COS nowadays. I'm I'm a, I'm a true believer in uh, the, the the powers of that technology. So we still do a lot of web design. We generally do web design as part of or as a lead into a retainer. So all of our new clients, all of our growth, um, uh, really, really the, the the bulk of my employees are all inbound focused. So uh, retainers uh, are the priority. And the web stuff just kind of falls into place with it. As you know, it's such a critical foundational piece that it, uh, it fits nicely. I've, we've kind of found the same thing is that it's really hard to separate the two. You've got inbound doesn't go very well if you don't have a solid uh, website to start off with. And websites without the inbound side um, is one-time revenue, and it's hard to prove the ROI from that. So, Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it's a lot of times when we're, when we're in the sales process, process when we're doing assessment and diagnostic you know we're, we're really taking a hard look at their website and there's very rarely all the pieces in place so you, you tend to have to uh, address the website along with the other foundational elements of the campaign right right absolutely well eric can you tell us a story of an example maybe a recent client win or something that you guys have just had that moment of success here recently yeah, I uh, probably my my favorite recent story. I don't know how attributable it is to our skill or just luck, but um, we signed a, a really nice client. Um, I don't know, but maybe forty five days ago, and because they had an existing vendor that was struggling, they had an existing inbound agency that, that wasn't really cutting the mustard for them, they had to give them notice. So we signed the contract uh, roughly 30 days before we could technically start work for them. So instead of going through our standard 30-day onboarding process, we decided basically to give them a, a quote-unquote month free. So we got started early with the onboarding. You know, From our standpoint, being able to elongate that process just takes a little of the pressure off. Uh, and inside that 30 days before we even invoice them, we, uh, through the sales cycle, we discovered that they were actually one of four companies that they're under an umbrella. And, uh, the, the goal was always that if we would show success, you know, over the, over the first quarter or something that we would have a chance to, to approach some of these other companies under their umbrella. Well, our free 30 days started off so well, they were so impressed with us just through the onboarding that we ended up signing another one of their companies before we even invoiced the first one. So pretty cool, um, pretty cool two retainers in one type of thing, uh, and, and hopefully four retainers in one eventually. Wow. That's awesome. To, before you've even sent out that first invoice, you've already signed up a second company. What does um, so? This might be a good time to dig into a little bit of what that process looked like that hooked the company so effectively, and then the second company, and hopefully numbers three and four here coming up as well. What does your onboarding process look like? I, um, I our onboarding process, I would say, is is is. A continuum, right? It's not like okay, now it's done, now it's perfect. So we can kind of continue to learn from and refine what we have. But what we've came to is that it is so so critical to get clients off on the right foot, and it's it's critically important for us to set up the campaign for success to you know really dial in on the foundational elements. So before we start doing any marketing actions, before we start building any assets, we are addressing foundation. So for us, uh, the onboarding process. Is basically a 30-day whirlwind of, of tasks, activities, and meetings. Uh, we have a project planned out pretty tight. 
Um, we use uh, some some nice visual pieces. We have a, a some so- really cool software that uh, works for Gantt chart and creates Gantt charts. So we build timelines. We start with um, annual planning around that foundation. Uh, so you know, addressing personas and and voice and messaging and all that type of stuff is in that timeline. Um, addressing keyword strategy, content strategy, you know, all that type of stuff is included there. But we really try to look forward. At the end of thirty days, we like to have our smart goals in place. Uh, we found that it's hard to start a campaign with a goal until you really dig in. And a lot of times we just weren't able to dig in deep enough on the sales process to that to really get quantifiable um, with certain types of prospects and clients. So we kind of shifted that around here a year ago and started uh, building towards the SMART goal over that 30-day onboarding period. And then with that, we like to look out. So we'll put a 12-month calendar together of really important dates on the uh, on the client's schedule, you know, trade shows or events, things that they're doing that we want to, to target from a marketing perspective. And then we build quasi uh, uh, quarterly campaigns to really focus in on stuff. All of that stuff is done during our onboarding process. So, you know, day 31 of the campaign, when we actually start, you know, posting social media, you know, building emails, building blog articles, stuff like that. We, we have all of that stuff under our belt and it seems to have, have really helped um, us uh, exceed expectations with the clients on the front side. That's great. Now, all these things, so you're wrapping up a huge calendar. You've got keyword research, these Gantt charts, personas, you're setting goals, you're doing all this stuff. Does that all come packaged in one big document to the client that they have at some point? Or is it all these different pieces scattered throughout the, maybe not scattered, but organized in a way throughout your project management software or however you guys are managing those projects right now? Yeah, good question. So the, the the answer to that is it all comes packaged on the front side. As we go through the sales process, we go through assessment and marketing plan and stuff into proposal is we'll actually build a, a marketing plan, uh, a starting point, like a, a template within the sales process so they know what they're getting into and expectations are set before they ever get a number. Um, so it's really good for buying on the sales cycle. Once they want all that stuff, you know, it's, it's hard for them to start negotiating on price after you give them a, a number. Um, but then after, when we get into that onboard period, uh, uh, period, that roadmap is set. So we're basically following that roadmap and it's got a, 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 cal- a timeline of calendars that the clients can see. So they know exactly where we at are at on, in the process at all times. They know what to expect on what date. So um, it, the final delivery is not a single document because there's so many different pieces. You know, when you start talking about maybe uh, um, the the SEO piece, you know, if you're building meta and stuff like that. So it's 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 a little bit convoluted on the backside, but it's very structured on the front side and throughout. So all of those deliverables are 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 um, ex- uh, expected and calendared. Okay, that makes sense. And then the one other follow up question I had was about um, when, what you mentioned with campaigns. Are your you said quasi quarterly campaigns, but you're mapping out the full year? Are those campaigns centered around, or I guess what what are kind of the container points of a campaign? Is it a block of time, or is it like centered around a conversion goal, like a content offer that you guys have produced? Absolutely, the latter. It, it really starts with a goal. So, um, uh, okay, we want to get um, you know X to Y by win style goal. Or we want to raise demo conversions from four per month to twelve per month over the next ninety days. 
And then we will evaluate all the existing assets, like is the top, middle, bottom of the funnel fed for that? How does the the existing demo offer look? Do we need any additional assets to be built? So we'll usually spend about 30 days planning each of those campaigns and maybe 60 to 90 executing them, depending on the timeline and and, and that key date we're, we're driving towards. And then everything within those mini campaigns is focused on a, a, a single conversion goal. So it's really about driving short-term quantifiable results, very focused results uh, uh, within the scope of the overall. And so each one of those little mini campaign goals should feed directly towards the overall smart goal of the campaign, you know, which is, is, is usually uh, focused towards leads and customers, uh, uh, SQLs quite a bit. Right. That makes sense. I think that that's one of the uh, well, I guess, first of all, the whole um, centered around a conversion point is the way that we've run campaigns and by far the most successful way that we've experienced doing that. And I think that um, the other thing that you brought out that I just want to emphasize is just the singularity of goals. You can have all these sub goals, but there's got to be some number that's this is the driver of success or not success. And I know starting out with, with clients, a lot of times you say, well, what are your goals? And they start slow. It's like, well, I'd like to get this many customers and this. And then it's just this like waterfall of goals. Well, I also want to decrease my bounce rate and increase visitors by this and all these different metrics that are just, all they are are proxies for what really matters. So boiling it down to what is the most important metric and figuring out that KPI early is super helpful during that process as well. Yeah, I found that a lot of uh, uh, two things is first of all, from an agency perspective, it's it's very very difficult to manage a massive amount of clients that all have a massive amount of scattered and and, and non unified goals, right? To to be able to track that stuff, we're we're big believers in goal tracking. We do weekly weekly meetings towards goals uh, purely, um, and we run the entire marketing department through that process for every client. So if they're scattered and you've got multi frag goals all over the place. It's a little bit of a disaster um, for, from an agency perspective, just trying to keep marketers focused. Um, and, and then the other side of it is, is I find that lots of goals might be lead indicators or they may be lag indicators. So, you know, activity is a lead indicator and a lag indicator is the results of that activity, but those should be feeding towards a true goal. And I, I really think it's important to keep goals, uh, results focused, you know, end in mind, what is the most important thing? What is the client looking for above all else? And can we stay focused on that? Even if we're still tracking those lead and lag indicators. Right. That makes sense. So kind of around that, this is a little bit of a tangent, but because you're coming from a sales background, have you guys started to make the transition or kind of what are your thoughts on the future? Um, obviously, HubSpot has gone in the beyond the, just the marketing space by introducing a CRM and talking about moving from inbound marketing agencies to just inbound agencies and that at some point, the agency is going to hold the hand of the client through not just the marketing side, but it's so interwoven with the sales side that that's going to happen. Are you guys um, finding ways to combine, and it sounds like you are digging into the customer side of things as well in the sales process, especially during the onboarding, but what does it look like for you guys to integrate the marketing and sales side together, and maybe what are your plans for the future around that? 
Yeah, you know, I think that's one of the things that's always differentiated us as an agency a little bit just because of our lineage is is that we've we've really considered ourselves to be a, a business development agency instead of just an inbound marketing agency because the sales side of it is so crucial and we just have so much intellectual property there. We we have several clients that we manage full cycle, so we're much more involved with the sales process than others. And the other ones, it seems like there's always a disconnect. You know, we're constantly trying to close the loop and every marketer knows the battle we face with sales uh, there's there's nothing that will kill your your um, uh, quantifiable sales qualified leads faster than a really bad salesperson or a salesperson that just doesn't want to do their job or just points the finger you know n- neglects their their role so we work very very hard to just integrate that stuff well, you know before um, before the uh, HubSpot CRM came out we were constantly you know trying to make sure sales Salesforce was connected and that we were working through closing that loop. Now with the CRM in place for clients who don't have Salesforce or maybe don't want to spend that money, um, we found some of our, our clients that don't have that loop filled, we come in and do a little bit heavier consulting and we play a little bit heavier role in training the sales staff, empowering them with the right tools such as the CRM, teaching them how to be um, uh, salespeople, you know, post-sales shift, uh, I I guess, as Frank Belzer would say. It's, It's clearly about connecting those dots and getting a smooth handoff and transition and being able to track things all the way through to close. Uh, We all know that our our, our days are numbered if we're uh, producing a bunch of of what we consider to be sales qualified leads that the customer considers uh, bad leads at the end of the day. So getting them to really truly understand what is a good lead, what is a bad lead, and then how to handle it is is I think vitally important. And it's why we focus a little bit more on full scale business development than just just uh, solely inbound marketing. Right. I like it. I think that you guys, especially coming from that background and the fact that you're already doing that, have a leg up on a lot of folks in the industry who are just starting to realize how crucial this is and you can't really separate the two um, and run a successful organization or truly add the best value to the client. So that's great. Yeah. It's it's tricky because I, I know for us why we why we really embrace the concept of inbound marketing is because it was provide it, it was enabling us to provide bottom line results you know very tangible results instead of just being a point solution provider like just being a social media shop or just being a web shop or just being an SEO shop is is we sell against that pretty aggressively is why would you want a single point solution when you could really connect all the dots and have a really focused campaign. But the it, the buck doesn't stop there, right? So the next level of connection, if you if you truly want to be, make inbound marketing uh, a, a solution instead of just a point solution, you really, I believe, have to connect it into the sales uh, m- maybe more heavily than we would all would like to admit. Amen. Yeah, I know that uh, we Andrew and I have had this discussion at Guava Box that there's no way to get around it, um, and we may need to bring on other people to help coach that side of things for clients um and it does uh you know you have to expand your focus a little bit from hey all i do is build websites and write blog posts um but to really do the best thing for the client you have to expand in that way so 
Yeah, and it's hard, right? I mean, because what we found is every client has a different situation. Every client's sales department looks different. Their tools look different. Their approach looks different. You know, it's it's every single client when we're working through uh, closing the loop and connecting those dots, everyone is different. So it, it, it doesn't really maybe fit into the box we want it to fit in. And it's not quite so easy as, hey, we just attack this thing. Let's bang it out in a few strategy sessions. We'll come up with a process like onboarding, right? right. And just run it. You just can't do that it's so customized to to the end client and what they have in place so it's uh it's a lot harder than it looks if it was easy everybody would do it i suppose <laughs> absolutely no doubt well hey let's shift gears a little bit eric i want to um uh, as much as i love hearing what people are doing well i think it's also helpful for folks to know where other people are struggling and the things that we're processing through right now so i'm wondering if you'd be willing to share with us an area where you guys right now or trying to work through something that's been a struggle that you're working on improving right now? Yeah, um, the, the, that's much easier for me than uh, the success stories because honestly, man, you know, I know you know this, it is all a struggle. Owning a business takes a ton of work and it seems like every time you have a win, somebody kicks you in the balls. It's just a, a, a nonstop grind um, for us. Um, you know, we've, we've literally built this business with, uh, sweat equity. Um, there's been no angel investors. We haven't taken out any loans. So it just seems like we're always cash poor. Uh, it seems like every time we, we get a dollar, we, uh, put, uh, $2 into the business. You know, we're just constantly reinvesting in growth, which it's hard to do that when you're cash poor. So, you know, we really have to eat what we kill. Um, I, I think probably the hardest part, the, the, my biggest struggle, um, um, you know, outside of just scaling and building the team and and stuff like that, we're at twelve marketers now. Thirteenth uh, uh, starting on Monday, so we've been growing pretty quickly um, uh, over the last couple of years. Uh, just basically building a marketing part. But the hardest part for me as a business owner is is focusing on the truly important with my time. There's just so many distractions. You know, you wear so many hats. You have so many roles. There's so many issues and pressing matters that 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 really, at least for us at the size we are um, and, and our experience is I have to be involved with a lot of things. So there's a lot of urgent to get in the way of the important. So really being disciplined about making time for planning, making time for renewal, you know, making time for process development and expansion planning and, and, and all of that type of stuff. It's really, really hard to do when you're jammed nonstop 12 hours a day. Um, so uh, it, it's, it's all a struggle. Every day is a struggle, right? But it's also a lot of fun. It's also pretty energizing. So I, I think probably our our biggest uh, uh, agency um, initiative now is to figure out how we can grow campaigns um, uh, from a retainer level. As we've matured, our, our, our quote unquote minimum retainers go up. You know, our costs go up as we're devoting more and more team team members to campaigns, more and more specialists. So our costs are a lot higher maybe than retainers we signed a couple years ago. So how do we graduate those retainers? Uh, how do we graduate those clients into a larger scope of work? How do we upsell them? That's that's probably our our, our biggest focus is is retention and expansion this year. Awesome. I know the struggle, and uh, there's always so much going on, and the really hard thing to do is to step back and figure out uh, what are the priorities. And once you have those priorities, to stick to that every day. So when you get 50 emails in your inbox tomorrow morning to say, I'm not dealing with these until I figure out, until I invest some energy and time working on how to grow these campaigns and expand the client relationships, it just it takes a lot of discipline to do that. So I know where you're coming from there. That kind of 
that kind of leads me into a question that we like to dig into, which is just for you personally, um, what what does your average morning or your morning routine look like? What does it take to get you from uh, waking up from sleeping to the point where you're ready to go and attack the day and give your energy and focus to the most important things? Sure. Uh, average day in my life. Um, so I, uh, I certainly believe in starting early. One of my philosophies is to, uh, work harder and longer to, to catch up and get ahead. That's not maybe the smartest and most efficient way of doing things. Um, I'm usually out the door at six. I'm usually the office at six forty five. Our, our office is in Southwest Denver. I live up in the mountains. Um, so I have a 37 minute mile commute that takes me about 40, 45 minutes. Um, I am straight in the office door before everybody gets here, start a pot of coffee, sit down on my desk and dig into the planning part. Um, we, we try to be really disciplined along, along the previous point. We try to spend our first 10 minutes of every day, just reviewing what the day has at hand, what, what are the priorities, what's on the schedule. Uh, we, so we spend 30 minutes every week planning our week, going into the week with a full calendar. Uh, and then 10 minutes every morning, try just trying to get your shit together for your day. Uh, then for me, I usually try to spend, I usually am in early enough where I can spend just a little bit of time cleaning up the in- email box, you know, addressing any necessary tasks, uh, maybe spending a little bit of time, um, reading an article or two, you know, surfing around HubSpot blog, our blog, industry blogs, LinkedIn, stuff like that. Uh, try to spend at least 15 minutes a day just on that stuff. Um, and then it's strictly into meetings all day long, task lists, meetings, all that type of stuff. Um, I have a, uh, I have a wife and a couple, uh, little boys and for me, my priority is one of the reasons I start early is I want to make sure I get my ass home for dinner. Um, now it's baseball season. So I am seven days a week racing to a practice or a game or something somewhere after work. So I'm usually at the office from about six forty-five to six. That's awesome. I'm a side note. I'm a big baseball fan. I'm coaching high school baseball right now. And that's one of the things I love about the job that I have is I have the flexibility to, if I need to get up at this morning, I was in the office, uh, five 30 in the morning and I can be out the door at two 30 to head out to a baseball game. So, um, I'm in the same boat on the starting early thing. You have a 37 mile commute. That's a hike. I do. Yes. But it's, uh, it's glorious Colorado mountains. So it's not that bad. Not a lot of traffic. That's another reason to start early, right? If I can get here by, uh, before seven o'clock, I don't, I don't have to worry about traffic. Yep. That makes sense. Okay. Random question then. Um, you're hopping between working like crazy and also the family running around a baseball practice and all the things that come with those responsibilities. Are you able to take time? Like, can you take a week vacation or what is your, um, kind of what's the methodology for getting away and recharging personally? Yeah, I, I guess you can do anything you want. Um, I try to, it, it's it's kind of like you just said, because it, we live in a digital world and you can always work remote. You know, I can I can do little things I, I need to do around family and stuff like that. I can make the time. You can always uh, uh, get on for a couple hours in the morning. You can always work later at night. You know, it seems like every time you take a vacation, you need a vacation from vacation when you get back. Um, but I try to do uh, a week every summer and do a, uh, a family uh, camp and Jeep and trip kind of thing. And as long as I can maybe plug in once or twice during the week for, for an hour to make sure that the ship didn't sink, um, then, yeah, I, I, I try to make that time. But more often, Gray, I, I, I tend to try to steal uh, uh, three- and four-day weekends here and there, you know? Yep, that makes sense. I'm in the same boat right now and just trying to figure out how do we uh, 
you know, which is the better method to go. So it'll be fun to work through. Well, hey, one of the last questions here, Eric, um, any tools that you use that you think other agencies should know about um, that are just critical to your workflow? Yeah, so we probably aren't as typical as other agencies. Um, do I still got you, Gray? Yep. Yeah, I okay. can still hear you. Okay. Yeah, we, we don't use some maybe some of the standard tools. Like we use Asana instead of Basecamp. I, I personally love Asana. I think it's a fantastic tool for project management. Um, but everybody's probably got their project management tool. I'll tell you the one tool I think everybody that's a, a, a marketer should look into, and I definitely want a referral bonus from these guys for this, um, uh, ReadyTalk. Uh, ReadyTalk is a conferencing tool, so similar to like a, a Cisco WebEx, something like that. But it has a phenomenal uh, webinar tool in it as well uh it integrates with hubspot it's a really really cool tool awesome company they're actually based here out of denver um i really really like ready talk uh the technology is great one of my favorite things is when you set up a conference call you can uh in the invite it just gives people a link so instead of having to dial a 800 number and enter a 48 digit pin code that you screw up three times and uh, pin, all pin all that kind of stuff you click a link uh, your, your, the person, the attendee clicks the link, they enter their phone number, the conference calls them, they click another link, they're on the screen share. It's, it's a pretty slick tool. We really like it. That's awesome. Good recommendation. Um, and I absolutely love Sidekick. I think Sidekick is the, the, the best tool a sales guy has had in a long time. If you consider the, how, how the CRM, the marketing software, and Sidekick all integrate, it's pretty awesome. If, if, if people aren't really taking advantage of that, especially salespeople, get your butt in gear with Sidekick for sure. Amen. It's awesome. Hey, we will link all of those resources that you shared um, up in the show notes for this. Um, Eric, what's the best way for listeners to connect with you? Um, LinkedIn, Twitter, email, pretty easy to get a hold of. Just don't call me. I never, <laughs> answer, I never answer my phone and I'm really, really bad at returning voice messages. So, uh, the, the, the digital world is a much better way to get a hold of me, but I absolutely love, uh, hearing from people talking strategy. Um, it, whether you're an agency owner or a marketer or a salesperson, it, anybody wants to, um, uh, anybody local wants to grab a cup of coffee, anybody, uh, remote wants to just have a quick conversation. Um, I'm always up for it. Great. We appreciate that, Eric. We'll link that up on the show notes, which you can access just by going to doinbound.com slash podcast. Eric, thanks for joining us today on Inbound Agency Journey. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, man. Great. It's always good to talk to you, buddy. Take care. All right. You too. This episode of Inbound Agency Journey is brought to you by Do Inbound, the world's first project and process management tool built specifically for inbound marketing agencies. If you want to learn how to manage, track, and scale your inbound agency with a pre-built and proven system, visit doinbound.com slash journey. Again, that's doinbound, all one word, dot com forward slash journey. Now, back to the show. Gray, great chat with Eric. I thought it was fantastic, but I'd love your thoughts right now. What were your takeaways? Hit it. All right, Andrew, I've got three different things, maybe four different things that I wanted to just touch on real quickly here. Um, I'm going to say these so that I hopefully you'll help me remember them. Talked about how they do web design at the beginning of retainers and how they've switched to doing COS um, pretty much exclusively with their agency. He talked really in depth about their onboarding sequence, which was very helpful 
to hear how they do things. He mentioned the concept of lead versus lag indicators and then also talked a lot about how they help their customers on the sales side as well. And that is something that HubSpot's starting to push. I mean, they've been talking about this um, for a while, but that's something that's just absolutely critical. And we made mistakes there early on where if if all you're doing is just sending whoever your customer is, just giving them leads, and you've never told anybody on the sales team or anyone else, um, especially someplace that doesn't have a dedicated marketing person or somebody from the sales side who's technical at all, um, you're making a big mistake and the customer's not really going to be able to handle that if you don't get involved there. So those were um, four of my big takeaways from that or kind of like topics that I wanted to get into. Is there anything else that you had? Uh, no, the four, those four are awesome. I got most fired up about the onboarding process and getting getting the client up and running quickly. That 30-day example he shared where they got another another umbrella business signed before the first invoice was even sent. I thought that was perfect and a great like a great benchmark, a great inspiration for other agencies who can kind of get fired up about the sale and then trip coming out of the gate. I can't tell you how many agencies we've onboarded with do inbound where they say our big struggle is we sold something and we don't have a model to service it yet. And I know that you and I went through the exact same thing. Our first two retainers at Guava Box we sold and we were so fired up about the sale that we didn't really think about, okay, how do we now deliver success for these guys? And we stumbled out of the gate and we lost both of those accounts because we didn't get off on the right foot. And so I think uh, Eric really made it apparent that you need to start out on a strong footing and deliver results fast. And by having a well-documented, well-organized onboarding sequence, you can really have a very busy first four weeks, a lot of tasks crossed off, a lot of meetings, create a lot of content. But really, that first four weeks can dictate the next 12 months. And really, that that uh, contract renewal conversation you have like 11 months into your retainer or 10 months in, depending on where you do it, the the tone of that conversation can go all the way back to how did the first 30 days of the client engagement go that's pretty crazy when you think about it. Yeah, for sure. Two things that I picked up on from that especially were um, how they set their goals and they get through that 30-day onboarding process and they're setting their goals towards the end of that period. He pointed out that it's really hard to set a campaign with a smart goal until you dig in a little bit more and know about uh, what you've got currently in place, what you're trying to accomplish, your personas, do your planning, your keyword research, understand the space a little bit more. So I can remember, I think maybe this was the second client that we brought on to Guava Box, where um, one of the steps in the HubSpot sales process, the sales process that they train folks on, at least at that point, was doing goal setting. And the goals that campaigns were launched towards were pretty much just what one person who did some marketing at the company said during the sales process. But that had nothing to do with reality and and an understanding of... Um, of what they had. And so then there's misalignment between, okay, what's really feasible based on what you've signed up for and, uh, and what's, you know, what's, what's possible or what are your expectations from the beginning. So I think that that's an important concept is just set goals after you've dug in a little bit. Obviously you can have some initial goals, but then recalibrate and make sure that the client is grounded in reality. Um, so I thought that was a big concept. And then they also talked about getting all the important dates for 12 months, the length of that retainer, on the calendar right up front. So that kind of helps you build your whole game plan, your whole plan of attack around 
what that what that period of time looks like. Yeah, um, getting those major marketing events on the calendar earlier would have helped us out, especially with our industrial clients who do a ton of um, a ton of trade shows where they're already they're sinking thousands of dollars into these things, and we could have done a better job of educating some clients about the value of inbound by helping them get a higher ROI out of their outbound spend. Um, that. I think that is a great way to do it. And I was thinking we can add both of these things to our marketing inventory form that we send out folks before the first game plan meeting, uh, where we ask for you know a list of all their competitors, all of their marketing content so far, uploading PDFs, stuff like that. Throw in there, like, what are major milestone marketing events you've got coming up in the year? Something like that, like integrating it into the process so the client gives it to you first. So you can really break into that first 30 days with a plan to help them get a, har- a higher ROI out of all of their marketing spend. Yeah, that's a good idea. I didn't think about integrating some of those dates right into that marketing inventory form or some kind of form that you're getting from a client. I mean, whether you get it in a meeting or before a meeting, um, you know. I- the important thing is that you get it out, but that's something And for folks who maybe aren't doing this right now. That's something that we do is, um, anytime a client as they're getting onboarded with us pretty much before every single meeting, there's going to be at least one piece of homework that's assigned to them. And one of those things is a marketing inventory form. Um, as we're just getting ready to build the game plan where we're digging into the, the existing assets that they have. And it doesn't, it's not the end of the world if they don't get everything outlined or if there's things that you have questions about, but that's getting stuff on the table that you can then review in the meeting instead of everyone get to the meeting and then, okay, let's think about what's actually in place and maybe forget things or, you know, it just gives, uh, gives them a chance to do their due diligence, you a chance to do a little bit of research and then everyone a chance to get their head straight and, uh, and on the same page in that meeting. So that's something to think about and something that we should consider adding to our process as well. Yeah. Streamlines it a lot, helps us get, you know, that first 30 days, the client's excited. They just cut a check to you, maybe to HubSpot or another marketing automation tool. That is your prime time. That iron is never going to be hotter than it is. Well, it might be hotter if you're blowing it out of the water. But early in the process, the iron's never going to be hotter than that, 30, that first 30 days. So having a structured process and system that you walk them through early is really, really important um, in our game plan process where we can take um, you know, 14 days and have a 12-month strategy in place. That has helped us out tremendously, Gray, and or- organizing it in a repeatable way uh, has been clutch. Yep, for sure. Well, that will wrap it up here for episode number 15 of Inbound Agency Journey. If you guys enjoyed this episode, enjoyed the podcast, and have not done so yet, we'd appreciate it if you'd head over to iTunes, leave us a review, or if that's too much work and you know somebody who would enjoy this, shoot them an email or a note and uh, let them know about the podcast. It helps us get the word out there and hopefully continue to unite the inbound agency community. If you have any questions, as always, you can get in touch with us. Andrew and I are both on Twitter at Andrew J. Dembski and at S. Gray McKenzie. And until next time, hope you have a great week and keep doing good work. Thank you for listening to Inbound Agency Journey. You can find the show's notes for today's episode at doinbound.com slash podcast. Again, that's doinbound, all one word, dot com forward slash podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, head over to iTunes to subscribe or leave us a review of the show. Until next time, remember, life is a journey. Keep moving forward.